You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. We're in 1 Kings chapter 9 tonight, uh, chapters 9 and 10, hopefully. And uh, let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, just uh, want to give this time in your word up to you. And just as today has been kind of a weird day, I, I kind of feel like I've been in a fog and, and um, just, uh, just interesting, interesting feeling today in, in my heart. And yet, I know that you, you don't move based on how I'm feeling, Lord. But, uh, but Lord, your, your word is, is everlasting. And uh, it, heaven and earth is going to pass away before your words will pass away. And so just tonight, just wherever our hearts are, whether our hearts are on a high with you or whether they're in a valley or a low spot, Lord, we pray that your word would go forth in power. It would accomplish everything that, that you want it to do in us. And Lord, we just cry out that we would be changed tonight. Lord, that you'd bring just application from the word that would just move us and shake our, our worlds for you, Lord, and that we wouldn't leave this place the same as when we came. Just every single one of us, me included, Lord, we just expect great things from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. First Kings chapter 9, you know, just a, an interesting day for me, um, uh, you know, wonderful, you know, not a bad day, but got to go sh- uh, serve at the senior center, and that was just so much fun. You know, I love elderly people, and this was just, it was awesome. You know, I just love, you know, they, they all come walking in with their coffee cups <laughs> into the senior center, you know, and then, and then they'll raise your cup, they'll raise their cup up when they want it to be refilled, and just people just <laughs> raising their coffee cup, like, come and fill me up, come serve me, you know, and it was just so much fun, and got to hang out with Frank and Loretta, and Lois, and Barb, and just wonderful, and and I uh, started feeling just a little sick, come, sickness coming on. I think everybody's kind of getting that. So I just took a little nap. And well, before that, I went and got my free flu shot at the Oasis and um, came home, took a nap, woke up just feeling like, whoa, I don't, know if, I don't know what you're supposed to feel like when that flu shot goes through you, but woo, lightheaded. But um, so we'll see what the Lord does tonight. But we're in 1 Kings chapter 9 and um, probably just going to breeze through these chapters tonight. Probably will be a shorter study, but that's up to the Lord. Um, it, it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So, um, so, you know, we know how long did it take to build the temple? Seven years. And how long did it take Solomon to build his house? 13 years. And so we talked about that before. You know, wow, nice of you to spend seven years on the Lord's house and 13 years on your own. But uh, so 20 years has passed from the beginning of the building of the temple up through um, the building of Solomon's house. And we also read back there in uh, chapter, uh, what was that? Chapter 7 verse uh, 2, that there was a, a house called the House of the Forest of Lebanon, which was a giant building and a couple other buildings there. And so there was, there was quite a building project going on, 20 years in the making. So you can only imagine how the, 
the architectural landscape had changed there in Jerusalem. But 20 years later, and here the Lord meets him again in the same manner that he had met Solomon at Gibeon. You remember in chapter 3 that Solomon had gone up to Gibeon to worship and to offer sacrifices, and that's when the Lord appeared to him and said, Solomon, ask whatever it is that you want from me, and I'll give it to you. And what did Solomon ask for? Asked for uh, wisdom or an understanding heart or a hearing heart is he said, you know, I'm just a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to rule this great people of yours that you love so much that numbers as, as much as the sand on the seashore. So please just give me an, an understanding heart that I could rule for your sake, Lord, and for, the, for your people's name. And the Lord just loved that and said, well, that's amazing that you asked that. You could have asked for wealth and riches and, and all that stuff, but you asked for wisdom that you could rule well. And then he said to Solomon, but I'm going to even go above and beyond that and give you what you haven't asked for. I'm going to give you riches and wealth and, and all of those things. And so, and so 20 years later, a similar um, occurrence, and yet not exactly the same message to Solomon. Uh, it says in verse 3, the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Perpetually, forever. And um, <clears throat> interesting, just as we read last week, and I even just prayed it over again, just Solomon's prayer to the Lord that, you know, if, if really it's just a whole bunch of different scenarios that whenever these things would happen, whether it be plague or natural disaster or even a foreigner hearing about the great name of the Lord and they would come, even as we talked about last week, how all throughout the scripture there's a common thread that God is a mission-minded God. He always wanted the Jews to be a light and a witness to the Gentiles and yet rather they became hard-hearted and rather cursed the Gentiles. And, and so if a foreigner would come as the Lord's heart to the temple and pray and cry out to the Lord, the Lord would hear him. And Solomon just prayed this miraculous prayer. If you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to listen to that study online. But the Lord heard that prayer of Solomon. Remember, Solomon was down on his knees and had his arm. You know, he started out on his feet with his arms lifted to the heaven. And then by the end of the prayer, we read that he's down on his knees with his hands stretched out to the heavens. And the Lord said, I've heard that prayer, and, and I've consecrated this house. I've answered that prayer. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, And, and now in verse 4, we have the reiteration of the Davidic covenant, or that, that warning, that strong warning that was given to Solomon. This is the third time this warning has been given to Solomon. And, and let's just read it. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I've set before you, 
but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I've given them and this house which I've consecrated for my name. And I will cast out of my sight. I will be, it will be, Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And we'll, we'll continue to read on, but just a strong warning to Solomon again. And, and, you know, the temptation is there for you and for me, and it, it's already been there for me, to just breeze through this. Just, let's just really quick read through as fast as we can, you know, like the Micro Machines guy, you know, there's the covenant, and let's move on, you know. But, you know, I remember um, my old biology teacher, um, which I got a D in that class, I had to retake biology, but he was just, everything he said stuck to my heart. Uh, no, he said, if I re- whatever I repeat, if I'm ever repeating anything, then it's going to be on the test. You know, if, if, if you hear me repeating things and it's in, you know, we're constantly going over it on your notes, it's going to be in the test. And this is the third strong warning that Solomon is given by the Lord. And, and, and it's come down to this point where um, the Lord is really testing Solomon if he's going to continue in this way of compromise with all of the foreign women and, and, uh, you know, the, the temptation there to go on and serve other gods. And there's just a strong warning. In fact, this is the third warning. Um, the first one was when David was on his deathbed and he, he strongly warned Solomon to continue in the, in the ways of him, of David. And it was a pretty good warning. You know, then in chapter three, when Solomon receives this wisdom and cries out for this wisdom, the Lord says it again to him. And it's a pretty good warning. But here, as, as we, we just stopped right before the warning getting stronger and stronger, that there's huge major consequences if you turn from the Lord's statutes. You know, if you walk in sin, if you walk in disobedience, if you walk in compromise, there's major consequences and ramifications. Um, and, and it's just sad because by the end of well, actually, by tomorrow, or excuse me, next week, we're going to be in chapter 11 next week. And it's by chapter 11, we're at the end of Solomon's life, and we just see you know, him just do a nosedive uh, before the Lord. And it's just sad. In, in one chapter, we just see, boom, um, just a major falling away of Solomon. And he just ignored this strong warning of the Lord. And so a lot of it is familiar to us, but then in verse 7, it gets strong it's the strongest warning yet that i'll cut off israel from the land which i've given them and you know it pains the lord's heart to say this since the time of abraham he's just he's loved israel and and he's just had a great plan for israel that they go in and conquer the land and and you know he wants israel to have this land and yet in their disobedience he's going to have to cut them off and, uh, and I will cast them out of my sight. And by chapter 12, we're going to see this starting to happen. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted right now, everyone who passes this temple, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house. Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, 
who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. And so just uh, it's almost a prophecy of what is going to happen because it ended up happening. And, and as you read about the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar back in 586 BC when Babylon came in. And well, originally what had happened was Israel, the northern section of the kingdom, had been disobedient and fallen after other gods and, and worshipped in idolatry. And so Assyria came in and chained up you know, the people of northern Israel and you know, took them away to Assyria. And so the prophets that were prophesying to Israel in the north to turn from their wicked ways and to follow after God with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, all of their strength, Israel rejected the prophets, were conquered by Assyria, were taken away in chains. So then the prophets went down to Judah and they pled with Judah to, you know, you can read the, the prophets and and hear their cries to Judah to repent. And look what happened to your sister Israel. And what, you know, they're in bondage. They're in captivity. Watch out. The same thing's going to happen to you. And yet they ignored the prophets. In fact, they stoned the prophets and were killing the prophets. Until finally in 586 BC, Babylon came in uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar leading them and, and took over. And, and even to this day, back then, but even to this day, Israel is a proverb and a byword among all peoples. It's a byword. It's, a, in a sense, a curse word. You know, rarely among the world is Israel a place that's, you know, people are excited for Israel and supportive of Israel. And right now, man, I'm just praying that our, our country will just continue to support Israel. You know, the Lord told Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And man, as we have our eye on the Middle East, Man, there's gonna there's gonna come a time where you know I'm I'm afraid that um, that our nation is gonna not stand by Israel and and that terrifies me. But um, I think we're already kind of setting ourselves up for for judgment in a whole lot of different ways. But um, but even today, you know, even in Christian circles, you know, there's people that believe that the church has replaced Israel, which I believe is false it's wrong you read romans 9 10 and 11 you see that god still has a heart for israel and that we gentiles are to provoke israel uh, to jealousy by our deep relationship with christ that they'll see our intimacy with the lord and they'll come and and say what do you have i want what you have and i've witnessed to i i had the wonderful privilege of uh going to israel and being at a in galilee at a at a hotel in at a restaurant, the Lord led me to go over and witness to two Jews from Holland who were visiting Israel. And I got to share with these Jews how everything in the law points to Jesus as being the Messiah. And I shared with them, and, and they weren't hostile towards me, but they just, it was a hard thing for them to swallow. And I ran into the man afterwards the next morning, and he came up to me and he said, I don't know if I'm ready to follow Jesus yet, but I couldn't sleep last night uh, because the words that you said were impacting me greatly. And, you know, my prayer is that someday that man will remember our conversation there in Galilee and that he'll fall on his knees before the Messiah because of this Gentile kid with spiky hair that's just like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, I'm from Oregon, you know, and uh, but that I'd provoke him to jealousy. I want what that kid has you know and um 
But now, even among the church, they're not provoking Israel to jealousy. They're, they're cursing Israel, and, uh, and they're hissing at Israel. Well, they rejected God and his statutes and commandments, and it's our turn, and they hiss, and they curse. And it's kind of, it reminds me of with, uh, <clears throat> for some reason I'm drawing the blank, but the bad guy in the book of Esther, is it Haman? Stuart, you, you Bible college graduate, the bad guy in Esther. Haman, okay, I think it's Haman. Um, you know, whenever, whenever the Jews would hear the name Haman, they'd hiss and stomp their feet. And so when we were going through the book of Esther, every time we read Haman, the church would, it got annoying after a while. We, we had to put a stop to that, but you know, uh, but when people would go through after Babylon came through, they destroyed Israel. Uh, they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. It's just havoc was completely wreaked upon Israel, that people would come by and, and you know, the, the ashes and the heaps and just the destruction and people would just kind of just be like, you know, this is just, this is grieving, this is horrific, this is, you know, this is terrible that, you know, what happened here? And it's interesting that archaeologists have dug down and found the foundation of Solomon's temple and uh, found that there's a layer of ash all over the foundation from when Nebuchadnezzar burned it. And even to this day, you know, as you go to the, the Temple Mount and there's a, a Muslim dome there, a Muslim place of worship that you just, you know, we don't curse Israel, obviously, but we just say, man, this is just grieving. We know the story that God gave them warning after warning and opportunity after opportunity. He wanted to bless them. He wanted to keep them at the at the first Kings chapter 10 pinnacle of Solomon's reign stage. And yet because of disobedience and idolatry, uh, the temple was destroyed. And, and it's just sad because even the second temple that was destroyed by the Romans uh, is a, you know, the fact that it's not there because the Jews rejected the Messiah. Um, even that temple is, is gone. And Josephus, as I've told you before, says that that, that temple was so beautiful and shiny that one could see it 30 miles away. You know, what can we see 30 miles away around here? Uh, not much, but just the, the glory even of that temple could be seen from so far away. And after the Romans destroyed the second temple, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, that the Romans would take around to document all of that conquest. And man, I can't wait to go to Israel with you guys because there's such amazing history there. Um, but Josephus wrote that, the, the Romans laid up a siege mound against Jerusalem in 70 AD and that the destruction was so bad, Jesus prophesied this, that, that a siege mound would be laid up against the temple and against Jerusalem and the Pharisees rejected that, but Jesus prophesied that and now Josephus confirms that, that the destruction was so bad that you couldn't tell that the whole city had ever been inhabited or that there had ever been a temple. The whole city had been destroyed. And as those pictures that we've seen in the last few weeks, just the, the glory of the temple and the fact that it was, you know, could not have even, it was not even a remembrance. That as the people would go through and say, what happened here? You know, this place that was so spectacular is now the armpit of the Middle East, you know. And all because of disobedience and, and, uh, but the counterside of that was that the Lord said, if you just obey, oh, what I do for you, if you just obey. And, 
I'm just reminded of a, of a conversation I had recently with a dear, dear friend of mine who, uh, who's, you know, living with his girlfriend and, and uh, you know, for four years has lived with her and she's not a believer and doesn't want to get married for, for a few reasons, but one of the reasons is because she's not a believer. And I'm like, wow, bro, we, we've got a whole lot of issues that we need to just go back to step one with that, you know, first of all, we've got to move out. Second of all, she's not a believer, and I just told him all about Solomon and that study about Solomon marrying all these non-believers, and they turned his heart from the Lord, and we're going to study that again next week uh, in a new light, and, um, and just shared with him, and as he just shared with me, um, Rory, I'm afraid to break up with her because I'll lose everything that I've been working for, and I said, are you talking possessions? And he goes, yeah, I, I know that's not important, but... But, you know, I'll lose everything. I'm like, man, if you marry her and get a divorce, you're going to lose all your possessions. But, man, don't even worry about that stuff. The fact is, is if you follow the promise of the Lord and the word of the Lord, there's blessing. He'll bless you. And just repent. And, and it was just bittersweet as we left our, our pre- each other's presence. As I was just like, just doesn't, just doesn't seem that there's going to be some repentance here. And so you can be praying for my friend. Um, that he'll come into just a repentant heart. And what destruction comes when we're disobedient, huh? And, and just the fact that people will come and look at our disobedience and hiss and say, what happened to this guy? Um, a byword, <clears throat> a, a curse word could be us there. So um, now it happened, verse 10, at the end of 20 years that Solomon built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, That Hiram, and we studied all about Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. That King Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. We we talked about this. Then Hiram went from Tyre in northern Israel to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you've given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul. As they are to this day. And so, you know, Solomon, or Hiram was a friend of David and helped David build his house. And then Solomon sent to Hiram and the king of northern, north, it's north of Israel in Lebanon, said, uh, Hiram, could you provide all of the wood for the temple? And so Hiram provided the wood and workers and laborers and coppersmiths. It's just a neat relationship there uh, that perhaps even David had led Hiram to the Lord as there's some amazing prayers to the Lord from Hiram. Um, but uh, interesting is there's a friendship there that, you know, Hiram doesn't appreciate these gifts, these cities, these 20 cities, and he calls them Kabul, which means that they're sterile. They're sterile cities. And so uh, interesting little encounter there. And, and then after that, Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. And, uh, and this is the reason for the labor force, which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house. Uh, the Milo, uh, which is, uh, kind of like two ramps, <laughs> kind of like two ramps with, with, uh, a, um, a dirt pile almost in between or, a um, what do you call it? Uh, rampart. It's almost like a rampart, but. In, on the inside was a, a safety place, kind of a place for safety there. Um, so the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city. 
and had given it as a dowry to his daughter Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, Laur, Beth Haran, Baleth, and Tadmor in the wilderness in the land of Judah. All the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion, all the peoples who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who were not of the children of Israel, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these Solomon raised forced labor as it is to this day. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he built for the Lord. And he burned incense with them on the altar and was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. And so we have a picture of Jesus here. While Solomon was a king, he was also acting as a priest in these days offering up sacrifices and being part of the worship ceremony. And yet, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, Jesus says one greater than Solomon is here, as he himself is what? A prophet, a priest, and a king, which had been prophesied that that's what the Messiah would be. And so Solomon is is a picture of Jesus here, um, the only king who's acted as uh, a, a, a priest and a king. And King Solomon also built a fleet of ships, Verse 26, at Ezion Geber, which is near Elath, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Then Hiram, there he is again from Tyre, sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. And so the Israelites were kind of known as, as uh, not liking the sea. Uh, and so that's why they went through Hiram to build ships and to ship stuff down. And, and so here Solomon is kind of, getting his feet wet a little bit and starting to do a little bit of ship work and Hiram is helping him out. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold. So just maybe to write in the margin of your Bible, a talent or a royal talent is 150 pounds. So 420 talents is 6,300, or excuse me, 63,000 pounds of gold that they bring. So, so much gold brought to Solomon. Then Chapter 10, we're going to try and just breeze through this chapter. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. And so you might underline there, it just blessed me to read it, that the fame of Solomon was concerning the name of the Lord, or the fame of Solomon was synonymous with the name of the Lord. And I just love that, that at this point in Solomon's life, uh, you know, glory was given where glory was due for all that had happened to Solomon. It wasn't that Solomon was, was worshipped or Solomon was, was the glorious one. But we'll read even later, Queen of Sheba giving glory to the Lord. And just how it went, when, when incredible things happen in our lives, that we just... We're like a mirror that just reflects the glory back to where the glory is due as, as incredible things happen. Because, um, you know, Solomon just even knew that if any good thing happens, it's because of the one 
who is truly good. And, and so, you know, she, she just heard of the fame of Solomon. She's heard of the Lord, and she came to test him with hard questions. And Jesus referred to Solomon's visit with the queen here. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, it's a verse that's really a, a key verse to 1 Kings, and we've read it many times. Um, and Jesus references the queen of the south will rise up, and it's actually a prophecy um, that he's, he's using through the picture of what happened with the queen of Sheba. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so again, just the theme of these first 11 chapters of 1 Kings is that while Solomon was great in wisdom and in wealth and in power and in fame, Jesus is even more great in, in wisdom. As Colossians tells us, he's the sum of wisdom. Uh, he's, he's more famous in fame and, you know, man, read the book of Revelation and how the people will laud him and worship him. Um, he's, he's greater in power and in glory. And in the same manner that Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that Jesus is greater than Moses because he created Moses, so is Jesus greater than Solomon because, Sol- or because Jesus created Solomon. And the creator of the building gets more praise than the building, uh, uh, we're told in Hebrews there, chapter 3. And, um, and so... Uh, Jesus, the famous one here. We just always want to focus back on Jesus. And in verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue or a a procession or a train in a sense, uh, army and and wealth and gifts and dancers and just, you know, we've all seen the movies, you know, or the Disney movies or whatever where where the, the royalty comes into a town and just, there's the dancers and they're carrying the queen on the, the poles, you know, and all of that. And so there was this huge, massive procession going before this very important <coughs> queen from the south, from Sheba, uh, Sheba being uh, the Ethiopia region. And it says that she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And uh, just this woman seemed to be searching for the Lord. She seemed to be interested. Remember, the fame of Solomon was concerning the Lord. And so she came to hear about the Lord. As great as Solomon was, she wanted to know about this God who had bestowed this wisdom and this wealth to him. So Solomon, verse 3, answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And it's an incredible thing as we've been talking Jerusalem archaeology. Archaeologists were digging in Jerusalem and they made a tremendous discovery. An ancient manuscript that appears to have been from the Queen of Sheba listing some of these hard questions. So it's just incredible. It makes your heart beat fast when you read some of these. And I'll read some of them to you. Um, one of the questions was, what do you say if you're talking to God and he sneezes? Um, so, just important things that, that Sheba had written down. You know, why can't women put on mascara with their mouths closed? You know, what if the hokey pokey is really what it's all about? Solomon had the wisdom that, 
You know, what if a picture is worth a thousand words, then what's a picture of a thousand words worth? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's a whole lot there. But um, why isn't there mouse-flavored cat food and all of those deep questions that we've all wondered? But um, you can come and, and read this manuscript later, and I'd be glad to just share some of these deep deep things that the Queen of Sheba was pondering. But um, verse 4, And when the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. So there, there was no more spirit in her. And so she was overwhelmed after seeing all that the Lord has done for Solomon. She was at the point of fainting. You know, and it mentions there, even just, she's just looking at Solomon's house and the table that he would prepare for his servants. And you remember from chapter 4, verse 22, that Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. So that's one day. And um, would have loved to have been a bow hunter back in those days, you know, like, I want to be in charge of getting all your deer, Solomon. And, uh, and so she just, she's overwhelmed. There's no more spirit in her as she saw all of these things. And then she said to the king, it was true, a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delights in you delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And so we just see again, just she gives glory back to the Lord there. And, and uh, just when we see prosperity in people's, in our lives, just may it cause others to see the Lord's faithfulness in us and, and for them to just drop on their knees and give glory and majesty to the one who it's due. And and so, um, coming to the end of the Queen of Sheba's visit, um, she gave the king in verse 10, 120 talents of gold. Uh, so 120 talents of gold, she gave him uh, eight tons of gold. So, um, you know, the, that procession carried all of that weight in gold up from Ethiopia. And uh, spices in great quantity and precious stones there never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the ships of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king gave great, or excuse, the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also, harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has there been 
uh, scene to this day. So almug wood was like a, a red sandal wood. And I found online that it's, um, it's really native to India, but no other timber has been so highly esteemed throughout history as the almug wood. It's exceptionally rare having feathery textured grain, handsome reds, crimsons and vermilions with purples and finely veined with black lines. The wood is very dense. It will not float in water. It gains a beautiful jade or whitish oxidized look with age. And so this uh, rare, just beautiful wood brought to Solomon and he used it to make steps and to make harps and instruments and and um verse 13 now king solomon gave the queen of sheba all she desired whatever she asked besides what solomon had given her according to the royal generosity so she turned and went her own to her own country she and her servants and and uh so just uh, apparently a neat friendship made there and, and above and beyond, you know, Solomon gives the queen just above and beyond what was normal royal generosity there. And just a picture of Jesus as Ephesians tells us that he does, he goes above and beyond what we could ever ask or think according to the, the riches of his glory, to him be glory in the church forever and ever, amen, Ephesians tells us. So Jesus, just he does above and beyond. And um, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. So bet- besides just from the Queen of Sheba, here, here comes in yearly 50 tons of gold every, every year. And um, we're going to see just how incredible the gold was there compared to silver Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And it's interesting, in Psalm 72, Solomon writes um, <clears throat> that uh, he shall, uh, excuse me, he writes of someone to come whose kingdom is greater than his. And he writes in verse 8, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings will fall before him. All nations shall serve him. So there's a greater king to come than David and then Solomon. They would write about that there's going to come a greater king than they. And who could that possibly be but Jesus? <coughs> uh, we're going to just cruise through the rest of the chapter here. And uh, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of gold went to each, each shield. And he also made 300 shields of hammered gold, three minas of gold went into each shield. So three and a half pounds of gold on each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. That's the treasury and the and the armory. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory, overlaid it with purple gold. And so use your visual imagery in your mind here to just picture this. A, a throne of ivory, overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, 
one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. So, you know, when you're talking about 50 tons of gold a year and presents, you know, in the, in the tons and tons of gold, silver was nothing. Silver was, you know, it, you know, it was like finding a penny on the ground. You know, it's like, ah, should I waste my energy bending over and picking it up? And um, so uh, not one was silver, for silver was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships kept, came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. And that word monkeys actually just means a, a um, imported creature. And uh, typically peacocks were, uh, you know, a lot of people believe it was peacocks. And, and so uh, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And again, we just think back to Jesus, greater than Solomon. He's the sum of all wisdom. Each man brought his presence. And, and just thinking about that, you know, just still daily for me, cry out for wisdom like Solomon. And the elders all got together last night. We were together till one, you know, it was like 1 p.m. that we were together just praying. And man, if you guys ever wonder, the elders of this church love you and pray for you, and are so concerned for you that, um, you know, they just dispel so much energy just for the love of you guys. And, and we were just up last night praying for wisdom. And just like Solomon was given that wisdom, that uh, just a specific word to bring peace to a situation. And in Solomon's case, he brought out the sword, you know, and it seemed ludicrous at the moment. And yet, bringing out the sword to divide the child brought peace to the situation. And we, last night as elders, were praying for the gift of wisdom that 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. That there's a specific word that is from the heart of God. That it's a spiritual thing that brings peace to a situation. And we were just crying out to that. I cry out for that almost every day uh, just for, for wisdom. I, I never want to stop just realizing how little I am and how big he is. And, and Solomon there surpassing all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. All the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver, gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules as a set rate year by year. So here we are at the pinnacle of Solomon's reign. At the pinnacle of, in, in the, really the high spot of the nation of Israel. They're united. Israel and Judah are one. They haven't divided. And there's just wealth. And the, the presence of the Lord is in the temple and, you know, it's just, it's an incredible time. And it's, you know, Solomon, if you just continue obeying me, you know, this will continue. And, and Solomon, verse 26, gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Talk about a stimulus package that was going on there. Talk about change. Change that you can believe. Okay. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. I had a knock on my door this morning, and it was just a nice-looking little 
elderly lady, and I was like, oh, this is nice, you know, who's this little lady, you know, and uh, thrusted the watchtower into my face, you know, and just, you know, she was talking about how the watchtower now gives us all hope in uh, making it through this economic crisis, you know, and just one of those times where you just, you don't know what the Lord's, if he wants you to speak or, you know, cast your pearls before swine and just, I was still in my pajamas, my hair was all, you know, Lindsay's nursing on the couch, had to throw a blanket over her, you know, and, you know, the woman was so nice and just kindness and, you know, I just had to say to her, oh, you're so sincere, Charlotte. You're so sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. You know, I'm a born-again Christian, and our, you know, it would take hours and hours to, to explain to you the differences in our doctrine. And you know, I don't know if you even have the time for that, but, but you know, it, it's different. We do not believe the same things. You know? And just you know, looking back, man, if I would have just should have known to pray ahead and you know, just talk about the real economic stimulation, the kingdom, it's, it's in Jesus jesus's kingdom and and so just mm, you know that whole obama crack or whatever really you know it's not in obama it's not in george bush it's not in anybody that you know it's not in mccain i don't put my faith in any of those guys but it's jesus's kingdom that's gonna bring hope and um even solomon's kingdom just it it faded away so um really just want to finish up here uh solomon had horses verse 28 imported from egypt and Kiva and king merchants bought them in Kiva at the current price. Now a chariot was imported from Egypt. It cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus through their agents they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. And, and if you'll just flip over as we close to Deuteronomy 17 verse 14. Uh, says, when you come to the land, this is the warning in Deuteronomy, and worship team, just come up. We'll, we'll close just with a shorter worship song tonight. Uh, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and you dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren, you shall set a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And for the sake of time, I'll just paraphrase the rest of that. But they weren't to go to Egypt and get horses. Specifically, there in Deuteronomy, you know, don't go to Egypt to get horses. I brought you out of Egypt. I was powerful enough to bring you out of that land. Egypt always being a picture of sin in the world in our lives. You know, don't go back to Egypt and get chariots and horses. And the whole reason of that is that we would put our trust in the Lord, not in chariots and horses but we trust in the name of the lord and just how we tend to go back to the world for for security and for defense and we fall back into sin for comfort or pleasure and the lord just says man i'm the god who brought you out of those things don't return to them i have so much more pleasure than you could ever know and just think about jesus you know the the greater than solomon the the one who came that he surpassed Solomon and all those things. And yet he gave his, uh, his life as a ransom for many, shedding his blood and breaking his body for us.
You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.